As I get up before you, I'm aware that we have about 30 preachers up here already that are exclaiming good news to us in sound, and we are grateful to have you all here today. I want to talk with you a little bit this morning as we face toward Thanksgiving on this Reign of Christ Sunday about anxiety, gratitude, and happiness. Two weeks ago, as we gathered with the children on the chancel steps, I mentioned to them one of my favorite verses, which you find both in Matthew and Luke. Here it is from Matthew's Gospel. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will God not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. That means you and me. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now, seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The good news of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Loving God, as we come here with combinations of anxiety and gratitude and happiness, we ask that you would bless the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts, that they may be truly acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Most of you know that I spent four years on the West Coast before coming back to the Boston area to serve here at United Parish. And I have to tell you a prejudice that I had before I went out West, which is whenever I met people from the West Coast, I kind of thought they were missing a battery. It was as if it took a little longer to process what I was talking about in my rhythm as someone who lived on the East Coast for a while. I waited until the very end to tell my congregation out there that, but <laughs> during the search process, I did say that I had read somewhere that time actually has been reported to go faster in Boston even than in New York, that the way we process time goes quickly. In fact, you only have to be on my commute from Inman Square, Cambridge to Coolidge Corner, Brookline to get a sense of that. About time goes forward, people darting out of nowhere, bicycles, as well as all of the tremor of road rage. But I realized after living on the West Coast for four years that the people out there think the people on the East Coast have one battery too many that we are somehow wound up a little higher. And I will tell you that I missed that vibration of being wound up 
when I was on the West Coast. Now, these are gross overgeneralizations, I get it, about regional differences, but any of you who have lived in both places get a sense of what I see some Californians nodding out there. You get a sense of what I'm talking about. One of the things I've noticed after being back here a year is the way that anxiety is the engine on our speed. The way that anxiety becomes a well-worn pathway for all of us. I notice it in you. I notice it in the people outside these walls. I notice it in myself and on our staff, in our volunteers. I notice how we are driven by a concern. And it's an insidious concern because often it is anxiety which is what promotes us to get the job done. My advisor in graduate school used to say, a little terror will help you make things happen. <laughs> and it was true. As I got closer and closer to a deadline, it's true when I get closer and closer to a sermon. The anxiety ramps up because I know that there's something I need to serve up for you, for all of us, that we might nourish on the word together. It's a pernicious problem, this anxiety, because when it helps us get the job done, it sort of reaffirms the role that anxiety plays in our life. Well, this past week, I was given a TED Talk to listen to. It happened four years ago in Bloomington by a guy named Sean Acor. Some of you may have heard of him. He wrote a book called The Happiness Strategy. It's not called The Happiness Strategy, but it doesn't matter. He uh, wrote a good book about happiness, and there's a lot of work going on in psychology and neurology right now about the role of happiness and how it works in our lives. You see, the fact is, we have all been hardwired since the beginning of creation for fight or flight. We are like the animals that we know, to be prepared at a moment's notice to leap or to go. So when you and I walk into a space, we are constantly scanning for any of the hassles, the problems, or the complaints we might have. I see a lot of nodding happening on this one. It's just part of being human. I will tell you this, that when we do the prayer of confession every day, I take Paul Tillich's idea that prayer, that sin, actually, is anything that separates us from God. And I believe that anxiety is a sin. And none of us are immune to it. So therefore, it is our job as spiritual people, as followers of Christ, to figure out how we work on it and fix it. It occurred to me that Jesus in the Gospels, when he says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will wear, is giving us the problem. But he's not really giving us many helpful solutions. He basically says, get over it. I think that Paul, actually, in the church at Colossae, gives us some prescriptions for how we might deal with it. Put on instead compassion, meekness, forgiveness. And amid all that, he says, give thanks. Constantly. I dug in a little deeper to the work of Sean Acor, uh, the guy who, who teaches the happiness strategy, or whatever he calls it, and he tells a wonderful story about his life of he grew up in Waco, Texas, and he heard about this far-off place called Harvard, which he assumed that he would never get into, but maybe he would someday tell people that he applied, tell his children who would be amused and happy to hear this. Well, he applied and he got in, and he could not thank his lucky stars, and he arrived in Cambridge and got off the tee and stumbled into Harvard Yard, 
And after the first week or two, he realized that everyone else had been happy like he was to get into that environment, but it only took a few weeks before that changed, <laughs> before they felt overburdened by the competition and the stress and the workload and the drive to succeed. And Sean thought he somehow came to a quote by John Milton, written about the time that Harvard was founded, which says, the mind is its own place, and in itself can make a heaven out of hell, or a hell out of heaven. Sean loved Harvard. He stayed there 12 more years as a graduate student. In his lecture, he taught the most popular class there on positive psychology called the happiness class. And now he travels all over the world doing TED Talks and talking with Oprah and spreading his word. But he's come to the realization that someone taught me a long time ago that most of us are either in a groove or we're in a rut. He found himself in the shantytown of Soweto in South Africa. And he realized, I've been speaking to all these highly educated North American types. I've got to recalibrate my talk. And so he's speaking to some kids in Soweto, people who know racial injustice and poverty. And he said, how many of you here like schoolwork? Thinking it would be a small turnout. 95% of the kids raised their hands because they realized that schoolwork for them was a way out of their situation into a better world, that they could achieve something that their parents had not been able to achieve, that they would be a part of the new South Africa. And he contrasted that to how he asked his lecture classes at Harvard how they felt about schoolwork. What Sean and other neurologists and psychologists are realizing is that we always have a choice. And that if we choose anxiety, which is so hardwired into our systems, it actually cuts into our productivity, our effectiveness, the way we go through life. But if we choose to see life as half full, we actually can be more productive, more beneficial to those around us, and embrace challenges. He was shocked when he was asked to go speak to a prep school, and he said, so what do you have going on this week? And they say, Monday night, we have the world's leading expert coming in to speak about adolescent depression. Tuesday night is school violence and bullying. Wednesday night is eating disorders. Thursday night is illicit drug use. And Friday night, we're trying to decide between risky sex or happiness. <laughs> Sean quipped, well, that's most people's Friday's nights. <laughs> The people at the prep school didn't laugh. <laughs> there was silence on the phone, and into the silence he said, I'd be happy to speak at your school, but just so you know, that's not a wellness week. That's a sickness week. And what you've done is you've outlined all the negative things that can happen, but not talked about the positive. Do you ever feel that way when you turn on the TV, or when you open the newspaper, or flash on the internet, we are hardwired toward anxiety. Many of us know it in the middle of the night. I know this. Anxiety creeps up and says, hey, are you up? I say, well, I wasn't. I'm kind of asleep. Well, I got some things for you to think about. November 1st, it was the Thanksgiving meal. We don't have anyone signed up yet. And I was pondering that, and I said, well, I was having a good dream. I know, but you need to think about this. And I said, well, can you come back and visit me after 6? And anxiety said, but this is really important. And what I've realized is something 
that Sean actually says is the beginning of turning this around, which is choosing the things we are grateful for. When anxiety comes your way, which it always will, think about the things you are truly grateful for. And not just general things like my spouse or my family or my church, which are all good things to be thankful for, but specific, the way I shared a good laugh today with my spouse, or the way my church helped me dig into a truth I've been struggling with for a long time, or the way that my family showed me what my great strength is, perhaps to be an encourager, or a baker, or a person who brings good news wherever you go. Now you can Google Sean Acor, A-C-H-O-R, and gratitude, and you will come up with on WikiHealth his prescription for how you do this. And he believes, like William James, the great psychologist, that if you do anything for 21 days, you will change your routines and your habits. That if you end each night with three specific gratitudes, as well as some other things he suggests, like focusing on a strength you have and how you might use that creatively, but really turning your brain around to think on the good things in your life, you will change the way you think. You will rewire your brain. I find this liberating. I find this good news. I think it's something that Paul or his disciple knew about the church at Colossae, that they really wanted to have Christ reign in their lives. They had to change the way they thought. They had to use faith as a new lens on life that helped them see all the good that was going on, to give thanks for it, to share themselves with meekness, compassion, forgiveness, and love, and lots of singing, and to give thanks continually. I actually think this meal that we will commemorate on Thursday, the pilgrims knew that as they had just gone through a winter where 45 of their 102 community had died during the winter. And they decided, no, we are going to feast and give thanks, and we're going to invite over these neighbors, the Bacanicates from the Wampanoag tribe, to join us. And we're going to share out of whatever we have because we are grateful to still be alive in this dream we call a city on the hill. I believe that expressing gratitude is at the heart of the spiritual life. And I believe, like John Milton, that God has given us the power in our own minds to choose heaven or hell daily, hourly, every minute, moment by moment. And the choice is really up to us. Thanks be to God.